to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N Tulsa.org. We are going to be looking at that beautiful picture of this reckless love of God um, this morning. Um, if you want to turn in your device or your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, um, we saw in chapter 3 um, uh, all of that beautiful picture about the glory of God that was being revealed there, that Moses, um, when he would face God and see um, uh, up on the mountain of Mount Sinai to see the glory of God face to face. Um, and when we would come down, um, his face would be glowing. And then um, after some time, uh, that, that would diminish. And he learned that the Israelites wouldn't respond well to that. And so um, he would cover his face with a veil so they couldn't see that that glory was diminishing. And so then we get to the end of chapter 3 there, and he, he's showing us that the old covenant um, was never meant to be what would bring new life. The old covenant couldn't bring transformation, could not bring new life. It was actually... To heap on us the law to show us that we needed the new covenant, that um, the old was passing away because of the surpassing greatness of the glory which was being revealed, Christ. And so then he says, so let's, let's, since we have unveiled faces, beholding, gazing, staring at the glory of the Lord, that's how we see transformation. And Paul's going to continue on that theme, seeing that. So all of this, this the atonement for sins, the empowering work of the Spirit, um, the imputed righteousness of Christ, all available to us, all based on the person and work of Christ. And in all of that, think through this. Um, as that's being revealed, that is completely reversing three or 4,000 years of the fall. That's God's plan, that, that at the cross, he began reversing the course of, of mankind. He began re- reversing um, the effects of the fall. Um, the, these these um, bodies that we see in what Paul's getting into in chapter 4, this picture of our bodies as we go through life, uh, decayed because of the effects of sin decrepit because of the effects of sin, suffering, pain, hurt, all those things because of the effects. But as our outward bodies are falling apart and becoming weaker and weaker, internally we're we're being revived and renewed to a new creation. And so there's this picture of dying yet coming to new life. So renewal. So that's what he's wanting them to see. And so this new identity means that we are ministers. We're servants of this gospel, um, that we're supposed to be um, those who see the light of the gospel. And the gospel came to me and opened my eyes to see the light of the gospel as it's on its way to other people. We're supposed to be reflecting the glory of God as he's talking about there, reflecting the glory of God, being image bearers of Christ. We're supposed to be being conformed into the image of Christ. So as, as ambassadors of this new covenant, we are constantly reminded of God's mercy. We saw that at the beginning, if you look there in chapter 4. Therefore, having this ministry, um, he's sp- speaking specifically of ministers of the gospel, but he's speaking also of all Christians. We have this ministry by the mercy of God. We do not lose heart. Um, so 
then as we see him saying, we don't lose heart, we're, we're flowing in this new identity, and because we've seen the light to shine in our hearts, ripping us out of the darkness of sin, giving us understanding and knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So as ambassadors of this new covenant, we're constantly reminded of that. So in, in verses 7 through 12 today, we're going to see Paul showing his enemies and his detractors that his own sufferings, he's going to go into a little bit of a case study and to show those detractors that um, his weaknesses and his sufferings, the things that he's gone through, um, they do not discredit his life in ministry but instead they should further reveal his connectedness with Christ. Like if you see Christ and all that he went through and he's going to bring up the life um, and the death of Christ, then hopefully that's what you're seeing in us. And this death in us that you're looking at as a weakness that discredits us, it should be producing life in you. And we've kind of experienced when, when you've seen people going through suffering that are following the Lord passionately and, and, and hard times are coming on them, that, that inspires and encourages your faith. Um, you see people going through extreme difficulty, and they are just focused on Christ in the middle of that. That's a beautiful picture. That encourages us. It also reminds us that we weren't made for this world. We weren't made to be here for, for all eternity, that, that this is not our home. And that's why we have the name Sojourn, that, that we are sojourners, we're exiles, we're awaiting our new home. So that's what we'll see today, that um, God has deposited this great, glorious gift and treasure of the gospel into these weak vessels. So how can these unsurpassed glories of the new identity, these treasures be true if Paul's life is full of affliction and suffering, how, how can this, this be true that you're, you are a child of God, that, that salvation has come, that, that you're blessed by God, but yet still we go through incredible trials, incredible sufferings, incredible difficulties, whether that's relational, whether that's uh, our physical bodies, whether that's mental um, illness, whether that's um, attacks from people around us, all of those difficulties. Um, we've got to think through Paul's trying to instruct us here that, that God's right in the middle of that with us, that we, we do not lose heart and that we are ministers and that this should be expected and that we can pursue him in the middle of that. So here's the key points, and I've got a slide up there for the key points uh, as we track through there. Uh, first of all, just this surpassing um, power belongs to God. Paul's very clear. Um, this isn't about us. It's about God surpassing power in, in verse 7. And then secondly, um, par these paradoxes of power. Paul goes into this case study of his own life, these weaknesses that he uh, sees as very evident, that they see as very evident in his life. And these are paradoxes of power. And then third, there's a new paradox. He's, he's revealing more about the process of transformation. What he talked about in, in chapter 3, verse 18, that in beholding the, the glory of God, you'll see transformation. Well, now let me explain what that looks like. It's through the death and the weakness and then the new life of Christ. So he's talking about the, the death, the burial of Jesus, and that being just an absurd thing that, that, that doesn't make sense, that, that God in all his power and glory would be weakened all the way to death, and that from that, his resurrection, there's where life comes from. And so Paul's saying, that's what, where I get my inspiration. That's what motivates me. That's, that's what I keep looking to when I'm going through sufferings, the death and the life of Christ. And then last, kind of an unexpected twist um, Paul says, death in us means life in you. And the two questions that uh, I've tried to keep before us thinking through, and for two or three weeks I've left it off, but think through these two questions. How can I be captivated by the Jesus of the cross, 
when I'm obsessed with pride and self-seeking and comfort? And then secondly, what implications does that truth have on me loving Christ and making him known to others? If we are ministers of the gospel, we're supposed to be um, loving God and making him known to others. How much does that have an effect when I'm obsessed with pride and self-seeking in my own glory? So let's read uh, chapter 4, 7 through 12. Paul says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So Father, we ask for you to give us direction in your word. Open our eyes to see more and more light of the gospel. Let us have more and more knowledge of you, but let that knowledge turn into greater affections for you that flows out into love and compassion and mercy and grace to the people in our lives, to the people around us. And let that that love and grace and mercy from you flow out into the mission that we're called to, to the lost world around us. If you come to rebels and people very different from you and poured out this reckless love, Would you help us not to be so indifferent or disgusted by people that are so different from us? Forgive us for allowing our own fears. Forgive us for allowing our own um, insecurities. And forgive us for allowing echo chambers around us to allow us to hate people who are different from us. God, help us to have the love and grace and mercy and compassion that you have. Can we borrow that from you in the world around us? In your name we pray. Amen. So as we see Paul's first um, point there in verse 7 there, that um, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So he wants to make clear this surpassing power belongs to God. And so the first thing he brings up there is we have this treasure. So think through what is he meaning by this treasure? He says that we have this treasure. So we've got to spend some time thinking through what does he mean by this treasure because this treasure is stuck in jars of clay. And so I believe that what he's referring to here is um, it's the glory of God deposited and given from God into human hearts. It's a a whole package. Uh, It's both the saving power that happens inside of us. It's the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. It's the knowledge of Christ. It's it's the gospel message itself, but it's also talking as ministers that we have this, this treasure, the glory of God, the knowledge of him, salvation, if it's happened in you, but also that treasure should be going out to others. So it's not only what we've received, but it's also this message that needs to go out. And that, that high, highest value thing that, that, that could be possible in the universe, the glory of God's salvation, he tucks it away in these little jars of clay. Um, and so we remember, and in, in look back in verse 6 there, because you may say, so where do you get that idea that that's what he means by the treasure? Look in verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, um, has shown in our hearts to give. So there's the ver- verb, he, to give. And what is it that he gives? the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
Well, that produces salvation. So we see there, this treasure is Christ himself. That, that is, we have salvation. We have the gospel message. This, this light for a dark world. And that Paul's saying that that's what needs to go out. Um, how could such weak vessels hold something? We talked last week about the weighty, intrinsic value of the glory of God. That there's nothing comparable to that. It has to do with this weighty, intrinsic value. It has something to do with a brightness, a blinding brightness almost. And, and he's saying that he's tucked this away in these jars of clay. Um, now, these jars of clay, these were just common vessels. Um, there's different Greek words. So back in those days, in Paul's day, um, a couple of things are going on. Everyone had common earthenware. So that was just clay that they fired and they baked in those ovens. And so um, people, some people had nicer stuff if, if they had you know, nicer homes and things like that. But, but for your common people, there was this earthenware. And it was the stuff that was very expendable. It, it was kind of the cheaper stuff. If you went to the market and you needed for like us, needing some paper plates, or something like that, some, some star foam that we throw away. Um, in, those, in those times, it was these earthen vessels. And so it was these little jars of clay, nothing significant about them, um, of, of throwaway value. Almost like uh, my car is usually filled with uh, McDonald's French fry containers. And so literally, Paul's going, think about the glory of God the glory of Jesus Christ, the fact that God himself comes and dies in your place and God takes the glory of that, that treasure and sticks it in a McDonald's paper container. Like, that's absurd. And so that's just a crazy, crazy thought that, that God would have that kind of plan. Um, now, Paul's showing the comparison value. He's showing the comparison value. He's not trying to say that humans or human bodies have no worth. He's not trying to say that. And so there's a whole, uh, there's some really good studies about that uh, as, as far as um, this earth. Christians should be leading the way in wanting to take care of the planet. So you usually have the Christian right, the, maybe the, the conservative right, and, and, and every time someone gets up, Greta Thornburg or whoever she is, is, um, that she's making this big thing about the planet. Well, you know what? We are supposed to care about the planet. And so sometimes 40 years ago, they just said, well, that, that's that liberal stuff. And it goes so far. So the, the, the Christian uh, conservative right, just anything about the planet or, you know, all this stuff. I used to, I used to joke all the time about um, tree huggers and all those. And Jamie's like, you got to stop that. You got to stop that. Because it, I was falling into that category of just going like, as if it just doesn't matter. No, our, our bodies do matter. God actually looked at this whole world and said, it's look what I did. It's beautiful. It has value. So Paul's not trying to say um, you have no value. And you'll get around some Christians. That, that's kind of their mentality. They, they try to have this, and we're going to see this in a second, kind of this stoic view, like oh, it just doesn't matter what happens. We're, we're, we're supposed to go on to heaven anyway. No, we should have compassion for people. We should be caring. We should think what our bodies are. We are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So he's, he's putting the comparative value of the glory of God compared to this McDonald's French fry holder in their day. And he's going, it just doesn't even make sense that God would do that. Why would God do that? Um, think through this. Do we take the time to think through that during this era of time, during the church age, during our lives, the very light of the glory of God, the very message of God being killed for undeserving rebels, um, that he is reviving dead souls and forgiving sins, bestowing unattainable righteousness on us, undeserved mercy and grace toward us. And during this era of time, um, all of that is stored in your weak, frail, cracked vessel of a body and soul. Think through that. 
You know the secrets that you've been through. You know the things that you've even done this week, this month, this last six months, and that he has deposited the beauty of not only the spirit, which is our guarantee for eternal life, but also that treasure of the gospel inside of us, the glory of God. And that, that intrinsic thing is what is making us um, transformed, that if we're gazing at that and beholding that work that he's done, that's what's transforming us. Um, that's exactly what Paul has done. And now we get to be ambassadors, sharing that treasure with others. Um, it's just a crazy idea. There, there's a danger in temptation for church crowds. So let's speak first to church crowds, congregation. There's a danger, a, a desire to be captivated by a person, a leader, um, a, a conveyor of God's truth. And so we're, we're just part of this crowd that, that wants to find that new shining star, that he's the new spokesman for Christianity, for all of us. And then, then you know, three years later, they say something you disagree with, and you're like, well, I hate him. That's stupid. And then, then, you, then we're all dis, disgusted with him. And so we have this problem that we have of, of we, we, we want to focus on the, the pot, the clay, um, instead of being captivated by God himself. We want to find the next hero. We want to find the next big thing, the next famous leader that's going to you know, retake Christianity. Uh, we do it in politics, in sports, in entertainment, in academia, in medicine, in, in news and media, in, in the business sector. And, and then we add pastors and church leaders into that loop of expectation. And that was never God's point, was it? And that's what Paul's saying. He's like, you see me as a weak vessel? You see me as suffering and, and humbled and weak? That's exactly what God has done. And Paul's not trying to do that to say, but hey, but I'm going to be stronger one day. One day I'll, he's going, that's my identity. I'm okay with that. And so just be aware of that. We, we, we have this temptation to do that, to, to look to those people. Um, I, I've been thinking through this as, uh, as I've been listening to those Mars Hill episodes and stuff, and just, we, we do it. And I love how Mike Cosper brings out, like, and we're still doing it. Like, there's a reason millions of people are listening to these podcasts, you know? And so uh, we do it. And so uh, a lot of times if you go to church planter or pastoral things, or you've probably been in business or something, if you've gone to something and they show the old gladiator picture, of, you know, Russell Crowe or the Braveheart thing. And so men are like, yes, you know, you're, you're, you're sitting there, you're 40 pounds overweight, eating chips on your couch where you're like, man, I could go do something powerful. And so for pastors, they try to use that as inspiring, like, yes, let's go. I just don't think that's what God's goal is, especially for pastors. I, I don't know if it's his goal for other people out there, but, but, but that's what we want, right? Instead of just going, hey, man, maybe, maybe you're the janitor's back behind the crew, back behind the forceful army, back behind the leader. Maybe just, man, just have a servant's heart of humility and faithfulness. Like, we'll just clean up the mess. And so church leaders, now let's switch this to pastors and ministers. Uh, here's the danger and temptation that, that pastors and leaders forget, the temptation to forget that all of this, look at verse 318, all of this comes from God. Man, I've, I've been in rooms with guys who literally let it slip out. I'm like, yeah, look, what, look how God's used me. Look at all this. And there's a huge campus, a huge you know, facility, you know, 8,000 people coming, 10,000 people, um, different people. All of this comes from the Spirit. What a slap in the face that must be to God that he sticks something glorious in a weak, weak, fallen, secretive, dark vessel, and then they start taking the glory for it. And some guys just, you know, they, they, from the get-go, like, I just want to be famous. I just want to, I want to be crowds of people. I want my name to be, 
It's all from the Spirit. You're, you're a jar of clay, expendable, to remind them that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. So you better spend more time praying and begging and asking for the power of God to flow than you do strategizing um, the next social media move or the next event that will draw in the masses, uh, how to make your, your live stream more attractive, um, to market your sermons to the masses, which feels so much more productive than going and spending time praying for each family, having a list of the families and just praying. Uh, uh, they don't even know. I, I hope, you know. And then later on, therefore, you may hear like, oh, our life fell apart today. And like, well, I prayed for them and nothing. I mean, things got worse for them, you know, versus spending two or three hours strategizing on how you're going to blow this up. Now, I just want to let you know, there are a lot of places that that's, that's what the, the time is spent on. And so, Pastors, they struggle. That's a temptation, which delivers the most immediate gratification. So think through for yourself. What are you drawn to? What do you value? Is it the, maybe the newest trending movement, or, or, or do you actually value humility and weakness? It's not something that's valued in our culture. It's, humility is not valued. I hate seeing some of the young sports stars, whether it's any sport that they play, and, and at first they're coming out of college and they're like incredibly humble and they're just incredible. And then the next thing you know, they have two great years and now they're in all kinds of commercials. And then here comes their private life out. And it's just like, oh, it's a horrible, um, just, just life of debauchery. And they used to be kind of this focused Christian when they're in college or something. And then pro, get, pro level gets a hold of them and just things change. You see it with, with all kinds of levels. Um, Paul understood this really well. And in 2 Corinthians, a few chapters later in chapter 12, um, Paul understood weakness in him was meant to show God's power, um, that God's power is the one that's working. It's not about Paul. So look in uh, chapter uh, 12 there, verse 7. He says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Now, uh, you know, scholars have debated on what that actually was, whether it was uh, lacking eyesight after the, the scales fell off, whether it was some sort of uh, body ailment that was going on, whether it was some other things, or whether it was all these attacks that were going to come that Jesus very clearly told him, here's some things that's going to happen in your life. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that they should leave me. But it, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Like that's not a good memory verse, is it? We don't want that one. And so um, we, we've got to see that that humility, weakness, God for some reason values that. How could you not if you're the omnipotent one, the omniscient one, and you've got little bitty sinful things who get their life a little bit straightened out and then start trying to escalate themselves and elevate themselves and exalt themselves. What would that be like for God? He says, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. All that for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, that's actually when I'm strong. And so um, he sees that there's something about in his weakness he finds God there. He finds God's strength. Now, now we have to be careful because what we flip the equation. Um, so here's the popular miscalculation in our personal lives. We, we could easily misread this or misinterpret what Paul's saying. So we could misread it that he's saying, 
oh, I get it. I'm weak. God's allowed these sufferings to come. I'm a weak, flawed vessel. So if I embrace my weaknesses, if I embrace my weaknesses, God will bring his power to me so that I will become powerful. And so the equation is that my weakness plus God's power equals my power. You can even see how I could just flip that in a sermon just to make, so if you just embrace your weaknesses, then God's power is going to come and you're going to be the, God's ordained you to be the, that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's just the opposite of that. No, when I'm weak, I'm content in weaknesses because it shines on God's glory. It shines on his power. So the natural equation that that, that we would sometimes hear um, it's very popular, maybe on Christian t-shirts or coffee mugs or, or wall pictures, is that misread equation that in your weakness, getting God's power means you're going to be more powerful. And he's saying, no, I actually experienced God's power there. So here's what saddens me a lot um, when I see people that want to take that and, and switch that and flip that. Um, it, it's actually that it reveals that pastors and preachers that they don't believe that God can still captivate people's souls. So when you're having to switch the script and you're having to go, hey, I need to give you, people are coming wanting three quick principles to have a a better life. Because this thing over here, the cross, Jesus, it's 2021. They need something new. That just doesn't captivate people anymore. That's not enough. We've got to manufacture something. We've got to manipulate the situation, modify the message, because he's just not as glorious as he used to be. I mean, we've got iPhones. We've got the cloud. Everyone loves the cloud. Don't know what it is, but we've got the cloud. We've got all this stuff. Jesus just needs a little facelift. We don't realize what a slap in the face that is when we go to pragmatics, um, trying to um, bring in hype, and bullet point Christianity. So how do you view sufferings and weakness in your own life, in others' lives around you? Is your expectation, number one, if I finally get it all together and get uh, better at being a Christian, then I won't have as many difficulties and weaknesses? Some of us have been trained in that. And even if you weren't taught that, a lot of churches teach that, get your life together, and there won't be sufferings or weaknesses. We're in a city that that's probably about the 70% idea that if you're a child of God, if you're a follower of Christ, then there shouldn't be problems. There shouldn't be suffering. In the name of Jesus, I claim it, that there's you know, better health and better wealth and better prosperity and, and no problems in the name of Jesus. That's not at all. Paul's saying just the opposite here. And even if you weren't taught that, some of us, we still have that mentality. If I finally could get my Christianity together, become a better Christian, I won't have as many difficulties and weaknesses. Or some people just struggle with this idea that good, leave, good living equals no problems or suffering or weaknesses. Because, you know, just hashtag blessed, uh, uh, that's what I'm claiming as a child of God. Just know that Paul had just the opposite experience He had just the opposite teaching and just the opposite direct word from God. This was coming right from the Holy Spirit. Him saying, this is truth. It's not going to be that way for you. So um, we see there um, some beautiful truths for Paul. We want to be clear that it's the surpassing power of God that we witness. It's not um, um, being able to come up with the best marketing tricks or the best strategy. It's not you having to manipulate people. It's not you having to trick people um, into believing in Jesus. 
It's trusting and praying. Holy Spirit, as I share the gospel with them, as I share life with them, as I share my own testimony with them, would you amaze them with what you've done on the cross? So the second thing we see here in uh, verses 8 through 9 is these paradoxes of power. Paul's case study, he says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. The next verses, 10 and 11, are tied to that. But we're going to just focus on these, these um, case studies he brings out. He brings out evidences that why this should not make sense. He says, we're afflicted in every way. And so, and I think the Greek there actually in every way comes first. So it's saying all of these. It's not just being afflicted in every way, but in all of these, in every way, we're afflicted. And the word afflicted may afflicted there means this idea of being squeezed and pressed. So have you ever had a lot of stress where you just feel like you don't notice it for a while and it's just heaping down on your shoulders? It's just this pressure. He's saying, man, we've been afflicted. So it's not just like, oh, we got a sickness or I fell and cut my arm and there's an affliction there. No, no it's this pressure. It's an out outside force squeezing in with pressure. He says we're perplexed. So this is this idea of being despondent but we're not driven to despair. So, so notice here, Paul is not just a stoic saying, oh, I, you know, Christian, you should never be sad. Christian, you should never be downhearted. Christian, you should never be despondent. But in that, we don't lose hope. We don't lose heart. Um, we're not driven to despair. He says we're persecuted, and the word there, it actually means literally pursued and hunted down. So, so people actively trying to harm you. Some of you have probably had that happen. It could be even people in your life that just, they're trying to harm you. It could be family members, extended family members, uh, neighbors, people around you, people in the church sometimes, people actively trying to harm you. Persecuted means um, being pursued and hunted down, but we're not completely forsaken. And remember, we're not forsaken because Christ was forsaken on the cross. So then it says we were struck down. And so this is literally hit or struck with a heavy weapon, one of those old-fashioned swords or old hammers. So that's the picture there in the Greek there of that word struck down, but we're not destroyed with, with a sword or an ax or even with Paul being stoned several times. That's the picture. We've been struck down. Um, it wasn't that Paul reached down into the lower limits of himself and pulled into some, some sort of gusto or, or some raw inner strength. Um, Paul's weakness was the occasion for God's power. So sometimes when things happen in your life and God has allowed things to occur and you find yourself at this place, it's not that God's not there. It's that he's wanting you to turn to him for strength. He's wanting you to see that in our weakness, he can still be sufficient. There may be a coming time or something present in your life where God has allowed elements in your life to bring you to a place of weakness, where you feel like there's literally nothing to give. You don't even know which way is up anymore in certain situations. And it's revealing our ongoing essential need for more of him, even though sometimes it tends to turn us away from him. That's the natural tendency. Our heart wants to go, you shouldn't have allowed this to happen. Why did you make this happen? Why did you let this happen? Our hearts want to turn away from him. And so the point is that hardships, sufferings, trials, weakness, that all points to our need for God. Um, let, me, let me flip this. If I were to take these, these, these um, case studies from Paul's life and were to flip it, this, I, I want to give you an example um, of how 
we could have went into this section, and I could have flipped this and modified the message. If you remember at the beginning of chapter 4, Paul said, we don't lose heart. We're, we're not modifying the message. We're not changing the message. There's a lot of places that would, that would take this, the, these aspects of being afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. And I could have just come and said, if I were to, to, to make this, instead of some downer news, some bad news, and make it more palatable for you, um, I could have turned it into four ways to conquer afflictions, difficulties, trials, and weaknesses. Do you see the flip there? See how I flipped it? Let's, let's make it this positive thing. I know some people are afflicted. I know some people are persecuted. Let's turn it into this positive thing. Why? Because people just need a positive message, Right? Are you going through afflictions? Are you going through perplexing difficulties? Have you felt persecuted by the, the growing anti-God culture in the government, in the schools, in the local communities? Have you felt struck down? You need to stand up, Christian. You need to be strong. You, you have a spirit of almighty God in you. Um, you need to be resilient. You need to rise up and conquer these secular enemies, um, these liberal enemies. You need to be influencers. You need to be powerful and influential. It's not what Paul has said at all. It's just the opposite of what Paul said. But, but you can feel that, can't you? Like, oh, yeah, show us a clip of Braveheart, Sankey. We're going to do this. And do you see what can happen if people twist and modify? That's not what Paul's saying, just the opposite of that. But, man, that's motivating. It's not going to point you to God. It may turn you out to Monday and Tuesday, like, I'm going to go do it. And now you're just feeling like a champion Wednesday and Thursday. God's not even the picture. Does God like that, or does God like us to be centered on him? Do you see how people will modify that message? That's just one example, um, just how people flip it. Um, was this what you saw Jesus teaching people? Was this what Jesus was exampling for people, or was his teaching about faithfulness? Considering the cost, you, you, you are going to be hurt. This is not your home. You're going to see me killed in front of you. You're all going to betray me. I'm telling you, remain faithful. Consider the cost. That was his message. So um, think through that. It's not a message imploring broken, empty pots or weak pots to fix their weaknesses, to protect their treasure. It's not saying that uh, the, the, these pots got to get stronger because this mess, message is in danger. The message isn't in danger. It's also not saying that, that, that the vessel is strong enough to protect the treasure. Think through our weaknesses. Think through human or mankind, and, and the gospel has been just plowing over and plowing over, gaining and gaining in the kingdom of God, drawing hearts in in every century through weak, fallen vessels. It seems like a crazy plan. It's not that the message saying that the treasure within guarantees nothing will harm the pot either. It's not saying that the, the treasure within will guarantee that the McDonald's French fry holder will never get damaged. It's, no, it, it is going to get damaged. As you get older, you're going to get weaker, and it's going to start falling apart. So we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. So in our weakness, we experience God's power. It's going to feel like death is what Paul's saying here. It's going to feel like you're losing. And somewhere along the way, we, we've changed the message. And as, as Christians, here we're Christians. We have rights. We have all. And he's going, yeah, yeah, you do have rights in America. You don't in the rest of the world. You don't have to. The Bible never guaranteed you rights. In America, 4%, we have rights. We're Christians. 
We got some news stations. We got some people that we pay to be our representatives. Doesn't work in 70% of the world. But in that, we, we, we forget that, man, it's going to feel like you're losing. It's going to feel like we're losing sometimes. It's going to feel like you're, you have a stupid life, a stupid message. In our weakness, we may experience God's power and see him as glorious. So the third thing is a new paradox. Notice he says um, he's going to add to what he started in 3.18, beholding Christ, the glory of the Lord is how you're transformed. Now he's going to reveal more about what that looks like in his own life. We're always carrying in the body the, the death of Jesus. Now notice these, these, these two times he's playing on these words, the pattern and repetition here. We're always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. So think about that. Here we are, followers of Christ, image bearers. Want to be good old image bearers? Shining bright, right? Hey, hey, go do it, church. Go, you go be stronger. You go be more glorious. You're, you're a light in the world. Maybe your light is sitting over with one of these guys over here at 61st in Peoria. Doesn't look real glorious. Looks, looks miserable. It's weakness. It's, it's humble. Doesn't look awe-gathering. Maybe in following Christ, the death of Jesus. That's what Paul says. We're always carrying in the body, as we live this life, the death of Jesus. That's why all these sufferings are coming. It doesn't surprise me. So that the life of Jesus, so he he brings two things in picture for them. The death of Jesus on the cross, weakness, God himself in weakness. Sounds preposterous. But what happens? The power of God comes from weakness, resurrected life. So we see the death of Jesus, but we see the resurrection of Jesus. Paul's going, that's where I get my hope. As my body de- continues to decline and get worse and you see me suffering and going through horrible times and I'm humbled and weakened and becoming more weak and more weak, I'm reminded more and more that there's a day that I'm rising from the grave and it'll never be like that again. There's a day that it's not going to be like that. The death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death. We'd probably prefer it if he just said, hey, a couple of times in your life, you're going to be given over to death. And the word death here is not talking about the state of being dead. It's actually ongoing dying. So that the Greek word there in this death is not, there's two different forms of it. There's the state of being dead, no longer breathing. And this one is, it looks like you're just an ongoing process of dying. So that's what Paul's saying there, that we're always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So, beautiful picture that he brings out. This mysterious paradox kind of flips things. Power coming from the death and weakness of God himself, but also in that weakness, power, the resurrection power. And that's what we're all looking to. If we went on to verses, um, the, the next section, that's what Paul goes into there in verses 13. So, since we have the same spirit of faith, According to what has been written, we believed, uh, I believe, so I spoke. We also believe, so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. He's, he's tying that together. That's what he's talking about in these verses um, 10 and 11 here. So death here is not um, just the, the, the state of that. It's literally ongoing death so that the life of Jesus may be manifest. Um, the fourth thing um, he brings out there an unexpected twist because we would think that Paul would say this. We would think that Paul would say something as death is at work in us, life is also at work in us. 
So again, that message, as I get weaker and death is at work in us, but God's power comes and now I'm victorious. He's actually saying, oh, this is actually a picture of Jesus. I've been pointing you to the picture of Jesus in that, that the death of Jesus is what brought new life to you. The death of Jesus is what brought the, the hope of resurrection life for you. And so he says there, um, as we're always carrying that body, carrying in the body the death of Jesus, and as we're always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. And what he's talking about there is so that treasure that I first started speaking of, it's producing life in you. If you're, if you're beholding the glory of the Lord, if you're seeing it that way. Paul is connecting the central truth principle of the gospel. The death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus is what produces eternal life. And in the same way, God using these gospel witnesses, these ambassadors of Christ, redeem believers as ministers of the gospel who are being transformed into the likeness of Christ. We will be experiencing weakness and suffering and trials and persecutions just like Jesus. Jesus experienced these trials and persecutions and death and in his death, it produced life. And so that's what Paul's connecting that to. So we see that unexpected twist. So instead of saying, as death is at work in us, it's producing life in us, he's saying, you can see life is being produced in you. So we see out of that this, this mystery of God's redemptive plan. God the Son would die in the place of undeserving mankind, taking on our deserved wrath. Christ died so that we might live. So that beautiful substitution, Paul is connecting that truth to apply it here, that, that his dying um, in, in, in front of them, what they used to discredit him with. We see your suffering. We see your weakness. We, we can't trust you. You must not be with God. You can't be God's man. But instead, Paul's saying, no, actually, those are the signs that I am with Christ. Um, when we look at that, um, I want you to see um, where I'm putting the emphasis. It's, it's on Christ, what he has accomplished in our place, not how much you need to improve at becoming a, a, a minister like Paul because that was not Paul's message. Um, it was the opposite. But oh, how we want to hear that message. We want to turn Jesus' work and God's power and our weakness into a message about our power, our perseverance, our strength, and a challenge to be even stronger. That's not saying that we do need to have encouragement. We do need to, to stand and have resilience. We do need to have those things. That's just not what he's saying in this section of scripture. The most common thing I hear is people saying, well, I, just, I just need practical steps at being a better Christian. And, and we get away from the gospel. I just need some practical steps. I just want, I, I'm not care, I don't care about theology. I just want to have, you know, like we're doing, we need some help financially. We need some help with this. We need some help with that. Instead of Paul's going, Look to the gospel. Look to Christ. Be in awe of God's power. So um, as we look at this, all of this shows us God's love for us. As we saw that first point, um, the surpassing power belongs to God, not us. And secondly, that mysterious paradoxes of power, that um, Paul's case study and all those weaknesses, what he sees out of that is God's strength and God's power. And then his third point there, the, the transformational paradox, that out of death comes life. In the same way that out of Christ's death comes our life. As, as we are ministering, it may be in your suffering, in your trials, that, that people around you, the gospel is getting traction. Not because of you, because it all comes from the Lord. Not because of you, it's God's power working around us and in us. And then that last expected thing, unexpected thing, that 
It's death in us, but it's life in others. So all of this is speaking of God's love for us. And it just doesn't make sense. And that's why we sang that um, reckless love that, that, that doesn't seem to make sense, that, that we as fallen, um, rebellious creatures would have the love of God just consistently poured out towards us, that he would be chasing us down, fighting for us, getting our attention. Do you realize how easy it would have been for the Lord just to let you go pursue the things that you thought were most important? The idols, yourself, money, riches, sex, um, anything that you desire. He could have just let you. But he came and pursued you and tracked you down repeatedly. And you rejected and rejected and rejected. And he still pursues and pursues because of his great love for us. So that's why we sing that. God wants to be halted. God wants us to be halted by his glory, amazed at him. So that should bring us freedom. For some of you, it may stop you from having to flex your superior theological reasoning or stop trying to flex your superior theological stance, stop trying to flex your superior list of approval and acceptance and things you do. Just, just stop and die and rest in what Paul's saying there, weakness and humility. Be amazed at grace, not how right you are, not your stance, not your practices, not your list. And for others, if you're just living in debauchery and just struggling with sin, it should bring a different type of freedom. If, you, if, you're, if you've been trying and trying and trying and you keep failing and failing, and just stop and come to the cross. Stare at the work Jesus did in your place. Cry out for that mercy and forgiveness to be applied to you. Ask God to save you from your sins and from yourself. It's the only hope that you have. You're not going to be able to work yourself out of it. So as we have a time of response, um, as Colby comes back up, consider what we've looked at today. Consider where your eyes are fixed. Consider um, your view of humility, your view of weakness.